Hi, book lovers. This is Ellen Hildebrand, best-selling author of 30 books, including The Hotel Nantucket and The Perfect Couple. And this is Tim Ehrenberg, creator of Tim Talks Books. And you're listening to Books, Beach and Beyond, presented by N Magazine. We'll be diving into the wonderful world of books and featuring special guests from best-selling and award-winning writers, publishing industry insiders, agents and editors, book influencers, and more. There's nothing Ellen and I love more than talking about books. And our favorite question to ask each other is, what are you reading? But we'll go even further here on the show, exploring the craft of writing, the process of book publishing, and that wonderful connection a reader has with a favorite book. But before we head into our episode, we want to take this opportunity to thank our incredible premier sponsors, Nantucket Book Partners, Marine Home Center, the Nantucket Hotel, Cartelina, and Nantucket Looms. Without their generous support, we wouldn't be able to bring you these fascinating conversations with some of the most dynamic leaders from the book world. So thank you. And now on to the show. And here we are. So in January of 2023, Ellen looked at me and she goes, we should do a podcast. Everyone does a podcast. And I looked at her and I said, are you crazy? When are you going to have time to do a podcast? And then in April, I looked at her and I said, you know what? We should do that podcast. And she looked right at me and said, when are we going to have time to do a podcast? But here we are. We're doing a podcast. Ellen, why did you originally have the idea to do one? I just thought it would be so much fun. So writers do what they do by themselves, right? I mean, it's a solo career. And when I'm writing, I just spent two months in St. John and I wrote on the beach every day by myself and very solitary. And I'm so curious about other writers and their process and sort of the things that that they love and don't love about this career. And I really, I, I want to deep dive into you know, their craft and and their stories and the gossip. I want to point out right away, this isn't a book-by-book podcast. We are not going to be focusing on a book. And that's great for me because I'm a slow reader. I read every single day, but I'm slow and I can't, I would never be able to keep up with a podcast that was focused on just one book. So what this is going to be is more of a, you know, I call it a big swing literary where we're going to have the writers that you've been reading for years that you love and adore, and we're just going to talk to them as people. Yeah. And it's definitely my favorite part of my job is connecting with a book and then being able to connect with a writer who created that world. And I think for many readers, yes, it's a solo career, but at the same time, there's so many people behind one book. When you see a book on a bookshelf, it is not just the writer, it's the publisher, it's the editors, it's the agents. It's it, There's so much behind that. And that's a world that I don't even really necessarily know yet. So I'm really excited to unpack some of that. And then, so that's why we're starting a podcast. And we, I reached out to one of my very dear friends, Emmy Duncan. I want to thank our producers and magazine, our technical director, Kit Noble, and our editor, Brian Murphy, because just like a book, it takes a village to make a podcast. So we're really, really excited to be here. So Ellen, your 30th book came out yesterday, The Five Star Weekend, 30 books. Wow. Can you give readers, I mean, some of it, some of them probably have already have it read. I mean, I'm not kidding. I'm sure some read all night. Can you give people a taste of what Five Star Weekend is about? Yes. So it's a little bit of a a concept novel. And the concept is that a woman loses her husband on page one, and she's devastated, and she doesn't know what to do. She 
is a food blogger. And so that brings in my love, of course, of all things cooking and food. She's a food, very popular food blogger. She gained popularity over the pandemic and now has like 2 million followers. So she's on the computer a lot. She's online a lot. And she is online and she doesn't know what to do about the loss of her husband. And so she sees somewhere that a woman who's also lost her husband has created something called the Five Star Weekend where she invites one friend from each stage of her life to enjoy a very sort of curated, fancy, bougie weekend. And Hollis thinks to herself, I can do that. And so she has a house on Nantucket and she invites her best friend from growing up, her best friend from college, her best friend from raising her children. And then her best friend or a person, her favorite person that is on her blog whom she's actually never met. So that is sort of the wild card. And they all go to Nantucket for the weekend. And this novel is the story of what happens. Wow. That setup and the book itself gave me so much anxiety because it's mixing friend groups. Do you mix your friend groups? Never. Well, (laughs) I mean, I live on an island. So my friends, so three and four, which would be like my friends from raising my children and then the friends that I've made. And I do have like a very distinct friend group from the last five years. And those two friend groups mix. But when you go back to high school, like I almost never see my high school friends, yeah. nor my college. I don't see my college friends near enough. So it's it's definite, would definitely be interesting if it was me. I mean, perfect setup for a novel though. I mean, it's what creates, creates the juicy drama of an Ellen Hildebrand book. To celebrate this book's release and to introduce this podcast, we have some insiders in the book publishing business. Two special stars of your life and career and some of the magic behind the Ellen books. Our first guest joining us today is Michael Carlisle of Inkwell Management. Michael began his career as a secretary in the literary department at William Morris Agency. 18 years later, he left as a vice president to start Carlisle and Company. Born in Paris of Russian heritage, he graduated with honors from Yale College and holds a JD from Columbia Law School. The son of two writers, he brings a background of international law to his career. His best-selling authors have won the Nobel Prize for Literature, Pulitzer Prizes, the Man Booker Prize, the National Book Award, the National Books Critics Circle Award, fiction and nonfiction, and the list goes on and on. Michael has also been Ellen's literary agent for her entire career. Hello, Michael. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. (laughs) What a pleasure to be here. Thank you for being here. Ellen, I want you to tell the story of how you and Michael first met. It's one of my favorite stories and really set the scene because I love this one. Okay. So I was at the University of Iowa at the Graduate Writing Workshop for Fiction and very, very storied, elite place, right? As If you're a fiction writer, it does not get more rarefied than the Iowa Writers Workshop. And I get there from Nantucket and I am completely miserable. It's competitive my brand of fiction isn't necessarily appreciated. I get crucified in workshop week after week. I'm a fish out of water. So I've come from Nantucket. I'm living in Iowa City. It's cornfields, it's silos, it's pig farms. I did like the Big Ten football aspect of it. I had season tickets, which I was the only person in the writer's workshop that had season tickets (laughs) because don't even go there. But I was miserable. And Iowa had therapy for their students. So every week I would go to therapy And I would cry. And finally, my therapist said, well, I think it's clear what you must do. 
And initially I thought she was going to tell me that I should quit. That did therapists tell you to quit things? And she said, you have to start writing a novel that's set on Nantucket. And so that's what I did in year two. I started writing a novel called The Beach Club, which was set at a fictional version of a beach club that my then husband, now ex-husband still manages down the street from where I'm sitting right now. I didn't really know what to do with it. In my very last workshop in May of 1998, my professor, John Spencer, had his agent into the class. And it was an agent from New York. And I remember he said, which one of you lives on Nantucket? And it was very obvious it was me. I had a sarong. I think I was wearing a sarong. I had on a white t-shirt and a sarong. And I was, I'm like, oh, it's me. And he said, well, please stay and see me after class. I'd like to chat with you. So I think everybody else was really angry about that. But I I mean, and meanwhile, I was like, okay, my, my U-Haul is packed. I'm ready to go. I did stay and talk to him. And thank goodness I did because Michael has been my agent this year, year 25. Wow. Michael, so, one of my favorite mm-hmm. things is when there's a different perspective. What is, what's your take <laughs> on this story? <laughs> so, first of all, I... I'm married to a therapist, so you can see I, if I were single, I would marry Ellen's therapist because <laughs> that's an awfully good piece of advice, which is to write about what you love. And clearly, Ellen loved Nantucket. I was doing a favor. I was moving careers. I was moving jobs. I had worked 18 years inside an organization. Very good one. I was trained well, but the itch to start something on my own hit and through the accident of birth, I was given a piece of land that was off of Nantucket and the land was valuable and there was no way that my wife and I could afford to build or live on Nantucket. So I sold the piece of land from Tuckernuck. Tuckernuck is also where one of Ellen's books called The Island takes place. And that gave me financial freedom to leave William Morris. And I decided to start my own agency, essentially with Nantucket money. And I built something that was, I, I was hoping would be fun and, and young and full of energy. And my parents had taught there before. So I had been there and it was in the spring. So it wasn't as cold as it can be. And I walk into a room and to say that people were dark, they were, it was like, the scene in Runaway Bride where all the guests of Julia Roberts are in black and all the guests of Richard Gere are the other way around. I mean, the writers were in, this is May, they were in turtlenecks. They were in black and they were bent over from anxiety, competition, literary snobbery. And I had asked John where people were from and one of them was from Nantucket. So that is why I asked Ellen, who was in the back and wasn't at all interested in anything I had to say. (laughs) And she was ready to get into her U-Haul. And I have in front of me a note that she wrote me on March 1st, 1999, (laughs) with a revised version of the Beach Club. And it's very simple. It says, here's the new, much lighter version of the Beach Club. Let me know what you think. Best, Ellen. P.S. Maybe you heard. Nantucket got socked with 17 inches of snow. It's all melted now, but it was beautiful. So that's the letter that transmits to me the novel that will take 24 or five submissions to sell. 
And when it was sold was the beginning of a wonderfully long and ascending career that's still growing. And I think that Ellen has proven what hard work can can get you if you keep at it. And so that's the story from my side. Wow. That's wow. humbling. Actually. I love that story. I know. We also today have my editor, rock star, Judy Klein. Judy arrived at Little Brown more than 20 years ago from a career in the movie business. And since then, she's never looked back. She has had the great privilege of editing some extraordinary books, books that I personally love, all linked by one thing, a great voice. Some of the people Judy has edited include Emma Donahue, Maria Semple, love her, Ayad Akhtar, Sarah Dunn, Chigozi Obiyama, Lucy Tan, and the great Edna O'Brien. Nonfiction titles Judy has edited include I Am Malala, Julie Powell's Julie and Julia, loved it, loved it, Left on 10th by Julia Efron, Going There by Katie Couric, and Chaos, Charles Manson, The CIA, and The Secret History of the 60s by Tom O'Neill and Dan Piepenbring. Forthcoming titles on Judy's list include All the Demons Are Here by CNN's Jake Tapper, Exit Wounds by Peter Godwin, and new novels from Josh Ferris and Sarah Crossan. Hi, Judy. Hi, it is so much fun to be here. I did not know that story about you, Michael, the man tucked <laughs> land leading it to Ellen. I mean, I'm finding out all these new things. We, we got to do podcasts more often. <laughs> <laughs> I want to start, Judy, with you with talking about what an editor does, because I think it's kind of obvious, but at the same time, I really want to get into what does an editor do for a writer? Well, I mean, I think the, the thing about editing you have to understand is the first thing is to find the material, to find the book, the proposal that you love, and then be a champion of that material. Like you have to get everybody you're working with excited because even though the writer writes in, you know, it's in a solitary way and the editor does have this relationship one-on-one -on -one with the writer, the first thing to do is to get everybody so excited about the book that we buy it. Once we bought it, then the relationship begins with the editor and the author. And I always say that there's not one single relationship that's the same. I work the way the writer works. We'll talk later about how I work with Ellen, which is honestly unlike any other author because it's like, it's just like being shot to the, you know, into a rocket ship. It's so full of energy and sizzle and excitement. So some authors, you're reading a whole draft and giving notes. I now actually don't print out anymore, but I work, you know, I, I actually do, you know, work on a on a word doc but sometimes it's work a chapter at a time sometimes it's meeting in person so it's that very intimate relationship just with me and the author but part of the editor's job is also once the book is done to be coordinating you're sort of the producer so you're part of a team publicist marketing person ad person the audio I mean all of the pieces that come together for a book and you're hopefully if you're doing a great job sort of masterminding how everybody was working together so that it feels for the author completely seamless. So it's not just the editing. It's sort of being the production manager in a way of the book, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. We're going to take a quick break from our conversation with Judy Klain and Michael Carlisle so we can thank one of our premier sponsors, Nantucket Book Partners. Nantucket Book Partners is my home away from home and consists of two independent bookstores, Mitchell's Book Corner and Nantucket Bookworks. Owned by my dear friend, Wendy Hudson, Mitchell's is located at 54 Main Street and has that classic, timeless bookstore feeling with a Nantucket room upstairs. Just down the street is Nantucket Bookworks, located at 25 Broad Street and features a children's room and a chocolate corner. 
You can shop with them online at nantucketbookpartners.com for signed copies of all my books, plus Ellen Hildebrand merchandise. Thank you, Nantucket Book Partners. Visit both for the full story. How lucky are we that we get two bookstores on Nantucket Island? We are so lucky. We are so lucky. It's basically my favorite thing about Nantucket. So what do people need to know about the Nantucket bookstores and Ellen Hildebrand this summer? So all summer long on Wednesdays at 11 o'clock in the morning, I am signing from 11 to 12. And my advice is either to get there early, people start lining up around 10, or a hack is to come at 11.45 after most of the line has passed. I think that's a good hack. Yes, they start June 28th and they last till October 4th. And we have all of her books to be able to purchase and her to sign them. Pictures, tote bags, holiday ornaments, all the Ellen Hildebrand stuff. We have all the things. Thank you very much, Nantega Book Partners. We love you. Love you. A few years ago, I actually read Stephen King's On Writing. Yeah. Because I really, when I started interviewing authors, I really wanted to get into the head of a writer. And in the first couple pages, he wrote, to write is to be human, to edit is to be divine. So I wanted you to to unpack that as an author and an editor. And is the editor always right? Because he also says that in there. Yeah, no, I don't think that the editor is always right. I also think, you know what it is? It's the relationship between an author and an editor is like every relationship. There's There's got to be chemistry. And sometimes when I read a book, I think, I know this book needs work, but I kind of don't really know what it is. I am just not feeling it. Someone else might, because otherwise everyone would be buying the same book and editing the same book. So I think part of being an editor is having that conversation, that relationship, being able to know what questions to ask. And it's very sort of deep and personal. And I think for me, the the authors I work best with is where I really feel that there's that connection, where I feel like in my bones, I know what I think and I know what to say. And I'm and. And I'm not always right. I think sometimes it's a conversation. And, you know, I think with Ellen, if I say something, she'll say, yeah, yeah, right. But, and so I don't, I'm not just sort of sitting there with like, well, this is what I thought and it has to change because you have to listen like in a relationship. So sometimes there's a back and forth, you know, it's not a rigid thing. It's moving, it's alive. So no, I don't think the editor is always right. I think you have to be open and flexible in the way that you are with everything else. So I would say... The way I've run my career is that the editor is always right. And and I'll talk a little bit about how I met Judy. So I did my first five novels at St. Martin's Press, and they were underpublished. And what I mean by that is they didn't do very well, and they're, they didn't have any kind of marketing program or any kind of infrastructure behind them the way I do now. It was a different time, and they just didn't quite believe in me. And so in 2006... Michael orchestrated a move for me and, and I and I interviewed at a bunch of different publishers. Random House and I mean, I can't even remember all the places of Viking. I mean, I have Putnam, I have good stories that I will not share here, but from that day that we went and visited all the publishers. And when we went to Little Brown, at that time, Judy, you'll remember, and you may still do this, we all met. It wasn't just Reagan and I, it was everybody yes. in the company. You were there. In right. The, and public, you know, publicists like Heather Rizzo was there. Like I can, Heather, Heather Fain was there. Like I can remember everybody being in the room. I remember you have a very distinctive South African accent. So I remember you. And although I was with Reagan for 20, 20 books, you and I were, were friends, right? And we knew each other and we would right. always talk. And I always would look forward to seeing you and ask you who you were editing and 
So I always felt like we were friends. And then in January of 2020, along with all the other strange and sad things that happened, Reagan left Little Brown and she's now the publisher at Knopf, which is just an amazing opportunity for her. And and then Judy and I had the opportunity to work together. And I was nervous or not, and I wasn't worried, but I was a little nervous because I like Judy so much as a person. And so you always think, oh, I like her so much as a person. What if the editing thing doesn't work out? But it was absolutely seamless. And one of the rules I had when I was working with Reagan is Reagan was always right. And I just, I'm doing the work. And then Judy's job is to make it better. And it was really seamless because every suggestion that Judy gave me, it's just correct. And there is a little bit of talking through. And the only thing I can think of Judy was when, if you remember in Golden Girl, where I had like all the Facebook stuff for the readers, which was sort of my own catharsis of like, you know, and you said, this all has to come out. And I can remember, I was like, oh, I don't want, you know, I don't want to take it out. I don't want to take it out. And I was walking across the street to the grocery store in Boston where I do my revising. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to take it all out. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to take it all out. And I I do think, because you thought it was distracting and inside baseball and, you know, I think the novel is definitely leaner and meaner without it. And then there was also a lot of stuff about the Iowa writer's workshop. There was a whole chapter. And and it's like, you needed to write that stuff. You needed to write it out, but it also needed to come out of it. Like, take it out, take it out. No, no, no. Again, too inside. I think also to me, part of it, because I was nervous as well, because, you know, you just never know. And for me, it's, there is a little bit of, I mean, we've talked about this. Sometimes there's just magic. Yeah. And you you don't know. And it's and it's not magic one way. It's about the magic that comes when you both are, you know, engaged. And part of the way you work, which is kind of a fun process, is, you know, you send the manuscript to me and to David and to Michael. And David and Michael have and I have this conversation without you where we talk through. They give me some of their ideas. And it's this kind of brainstorming like, oh, what about that character? What about the ending? What about this? That it's just very free form. You know, no one's sitting in there with their notes. It's just really based on like the, a deep first read. And then I kind of, you know, put all of that together, mostly in my head, you know, and then you and I have the conversation and you're like not even taking notes. And it's a conversation which is just all over the place. It's like a brainstorming session as if you were a Hollywood producer talking to another Hollywood producer. So open, so free. So not for me, you know, you as a writer, you're well, I can't change that because that's character. And that's it's like you, you, I could almost, I feel as if I could say anything like, you know, throw out the first 50 pages, which we haven't. We've never had that kind of conversation because what you deliver is so, you deliver something which is as perfect as you can get it. And it's yeah. pretty perfect. But then there's just this freedom in the way that we have the conversation and it's exciting. And I think that's part of what happens is like, I'm energized because you're energized and then you're energized because I'm energized. And that is, it is kind of magic. And yeah. then I, you know, I give you some basic big sort of notes of like, here's where, here's where we went in the conversation. And then you go away with, I didn't even know how you do it. You know, you, you managed to take all of that in, barely writing anything down. And then come back, you know, X weeks later, not that many weeks later, with a total revision. And then I do more of the line edit and those smaller notes. But I think it's it's like a piece of clay and you're squishing it around and you're, you know, your openness to that process. Because I think there's so many writers who are at the level you are at. I mean, I hate to say it, they just don't 
take edits and they don't rewrite. And I think the part of the reason why you are, and I could just say this in a braggy way, you know, your numbers are up more than 30% in all formats compared to a lot of other writers out there who are writing, you know, big commercial books is because your books get better and better and better. And they're always great because you want them to be so great. And anyway, that's my yeah. little, you know, Ellen spiel. Yeah. The, re- the revising process really has, ca- I'm, I'm trying to think the first year, but it must've been 2007. I mean, it was, a, I've been revising for a long time, but I've started my routine for the revising, which is when I moved to Beacon Hill. And that the first year I did that was in 2011. So I believe I just finished my 12th year. I can't remember. But I, I do that on purpose and I set aside the six weeks where I do nothing but revise. I have very few other commitments. I rent an apartment, so I'm not cleaning my house and I'm not cooking. I'm not doing anything. I, you know, now that the kids are a little older, they do show up on my sofa in Boston because they're like, oh, this is cool. Mom has an apartment. But other than that, like very, very focused. And I think because I can't see the story because I'm too deep in it, which is why the editor is so, so crucial because it's a second set of, it's the only set of eyes. People always say, are you in a rooting group? Do you have like a first reader? And it's it's Michael, David, and Judy. And that's it, because that's all I need. That's all I've ever needed. And those are the voices that I trust. And But it does go through a real revision. I will tell a story about Reagan, and this is relevant because of The Perfect Couple. I turned in The Perfect Couple in 2017, and normally Reagan and I would have a very similar phone conversation to what Judy was describing. Only this year, she called and she said, I love so many things about this book. And I thought, oh, dear God, what is she going to say next? She said, but the wrong person dies. First draft I had handed in, it's a murder mystery. Another person in the wedding party had died. I rewrote the entire book in six weeks with somebody different dying. And as soon as she said it, I thought, she's absolutely right. Like I couldn't, I knew something wasn't right, but I couldn't figure out what it was. And when she said that, I was like, oh my goodness. And I so I rewrote the entire thing and, you know, and it was like a magic, like weird fix, but. Wow, um, wasn't that daunting at first? I cried, it, I cried. I knew um, she was right and I knew it had to be done, but I was like nauseated. I was just wow. like, I can't believe that. I did I, not have to touch every single page, believe it or not. I did not have to touch. I didn't even have to touch every chapter. I want to jump in and, and say something. I think the reason you are where you are is that you work with your characters and conceive of them and create them as people or situations that you've either observed or that you have a twisty mind and can put them into. But one of the reasons there is so little note-taking, I think, Judy, is that Ellen is these characters in each novel. So there's a focus on the clay, your metaphor, of how this worked for her. That's how she got it together. The fact that the, you know, Politburo decided that the Iowa chapter was not a good part of the Golden Girl was, was easy to see when you're outside it. But when you're in it, you don't see that. Right. And I think one of the great things about Ellen, we've had some frustrations with how long it takes Hollywood to come around to, there are, what, 30 books, right? Mm-hmm. This is our, you know, first time where we really have something going. I was looking through the files this morning. We had an option on the Beach Club many, many years ago. 
she does work hard. She works harder than anyone I know at getting the book so that that, that clay, that, that those characters are accessible, that they have differences. They have Ellen Hildebrand names, Calder Dudley. I mean, she has the greatest names for her characters that she creates. And they are actual people. Fast Eddie is the real estate guy. The chief is the chief. And so for her, when you give her the path or your suggested way, I think it's it's not that I'm diminishing how much work she does quickly. It's that she's ready for it because she's worked so hard to get it to where it is. I do take notes. And like when we're talking, Judy, I do take notes. But because I'm so intimately, like I know the material so intimately that when you just give me, like you, I'm trying to think, okay, like, so for example, all I can remember about the Hotel Nantucket was that how it, how influential you were in forming Grace because Grace the ghost was very unformed when I turned it in to you. And you said, I want her to like, can she take a robe? Like, and remember, can she, and, yeah. we, and then she yeah. had the, the hotel, like that was all Judy's idea. And then I gave her the baseball hat and, but you just, all you needed to say was like, she needs some person, like more personality. And I'm like, okay. And then, I know the story so well that I, you know, all you have to do is like the, just give me the bullet points. And I'm like, okay, yes, yes. And then I go in and I'm like, okay, this is how I'm going to fix it. Okay. Ellen put me up to this one and I'm so excited to ask it. If you could change one thing about Ellen and her process, what would it be? Oh, that's <laughs> Both a trick of you. Que- that's a trick question. Come on, Ellen, cover your ears. <laughs> Take off the earphones. No, I- <laughs> no, because I was going to go to the more positive side, which is listening to what Michael's saying is that, you know, yes, as an editor, I have to juggle so many things. But for me, one of the things that's so great about Ellen is she sticks to routine and she is so reliable. So when she says I'm delivering the book on, I'm going to be delivering it on Saturday morning, it'll probably be around, you know, 8 a.m. Pretty sure that around like 8.01 that, and for me, it's like I have, everything is ready and I drop absolutely everything that I'm doing because that is the way we have to work because there's a schedule of when it's got to be in production. And, you know, we've got the jacket all lined up. We've got everything is, it's a well-oiled machine. And so for me, I know that I've got that, you know, those days, I don't do anything else. I cancel absolutely everything on my calendar. I don't have any meetings. I don't have any calls. I don't, I mean, if an emergency comes, you know, yeah, you know, obviously I'm, I'm going to do that. But that is, so no, I mean, I really, sorry, I can't say one thing I would change because I think if there was something that was bothering me, I probably would tell Ellen there really isn't. I mean, it's just, yeah. sorry, it's perfect, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that answer. That, Michael? Two, two answers from my side. One is, Ellen is such an optimist and such an enthusiast, and she is so engaged in life. I think it has to do with her genetic component. I think it has to do with her early childhood. I think it has to do with a lot of things. But Ellen is an up person, and she, like me, would like to be liked. And so when the occasional jacket that isn't perfect comes, it's shown to Ellen. There's a, usually a protocol. It should come to the agent first and then to the author. And then uh-huh. once the agent has signed off, it could then goes to the author. And presumably many years ago, because of this kind of open relationship that we have, that protocol has, has dropped out. So now the press releases and this release and the jacket and this, that, and the other go directly to Ellen. And she always says, yay, I love it. 
before <laughs> David and I have a chance to look and say, well, wait a second, your name is spelled backwards or <laughs> this is a boat that's, right. that's going into the water or don't you see the colors are green and, you're, you know, whatever. So it's always a little bit difficult to pull back the reins on this wonderful open relationship. So that's my, it's not a, it's not a complaint. It's just a, a remark. My complaint would be that she, I understand retirement in her terms. It was a bit of a sidewinder because she announced it again in her optimistic, you know, hey, let's, let's just talk about it. She announced it without informing either of her agents or even her publisher. So <laughs> it's, she's a little bit of a free spirit and God knows we love that free spirit. And I think we can always catch up to her. The notion of retirement for Ellen is a specially defined change in life, which I completely respect. I think for readers, it's good to know that there are going to be more books, that this is retirement in quotes or in italics or however the copy editor would put it at uh, Little Brown. But this is a moment where Ellen is going to do something different in a different pace. This is a woman who at the height of her breast cancer scare and operation, was doing two books a year. And to write one book in a lifetime is an achievement. To write one book in a year is extraordinary, and two books is superhuman. And I think, in a way, it's important for Ellen to, at this stage, to be able to reflect and to think and to step aside from the grind not that working on something she loves is a grind, but I do feel that her time as she pauses and, and looks elsewhere is a very good thing for all of her readers because there will be more books. And I think that's really important for anyone listening and who's freaking out about the retirement to understand. I really feel, and I wonder honestly why more people don't do this. The business plan that I'm on is one had to have been on for over 20 years, is one Nantucket summer book per year. And then for seven years, I did two books per year. So I have put an end to the two books. Well, I mean, I have and I haven't, right? But we'll get to that in a second. But the, the Nantucket summer books, I can feel myself coming to a natural end of the material. And the last thing I want to do is spin it out and phone it in and make it so that it's not so great. So by putting a an end gap to the Nantucket summer book's for now, it gives me a peace of mind to know that those books are what I would consider to be my very best effort. And I, I, I couldn't, I can't promise that it could go on and on forever. And so I thought, since I can't promise it won't go on and on forever, I'll just call it a day with the novel that I'm writing now, which is called Swan Song. And then from there, as a lot of you know, I'm writing two novels with my daughter about a New England boarding school. And they are really Ellen Hildebrand books in that they have multiple points of view with the head of school, the teachers, Shelby's doing the students. There's tons of drama. It's going to feel like an Ellen Hildebrand book in a completely different setting. You know, laughter and tears and just like all the emotional turmoil that you're going to want from something like that and the scandal. And then I do have ideas for books moving forward, but they're not necessarily going to fall into the Nantucket summer novel mold that I've been writing. And you know, the other thing I want to say is that the most difficult thing about my job is I'm very aware of what the, the readers want. And it's the same thing every year completely differently. And there are only so many ways that I've managed to do that. And so 
I feel like by calling the game after Swan Song that I'm giving myself some freedom, ability to exhale and say, okay, you know, I'm going to work on the boarding school books and then I'm going to still write novels, maybe Nantucket adjacent, we'll see, but different, mm-hmm. different, different schedule, different topics and give myself a little bit more, more freedom and leeway. The fact is you want to grow and be fresh. One of the things that I love about you and Elena, and I guess we'll get on to, you know, sort of other books and people we're reading is, you know, that you read so much, you know, mm-hmm. you are, as you said, you read slowly, but you're so generous. And I remember we connected early on with, you know, you know, you said, when you read something great, let me know. And I, and I have, you know, and many, many people out there, you know, know that you are that reader and you become a trustworthy, you know, a recommender of other people's books and are open to that. So I, I think we will go wherever you go, you know, wherever you go, we will follow. I have this author, Ed Akhtar, who I published his first novel and then he started writing plays and we didn't really publish plays before, but, you know, we said, well, he's writing plays, we're going to publish his plays. And his play, Disgrace, ended up winning the Pulitzer Prize and now he's the head of Penn. And, you know, part of it was, well, whatever, whatever he did, we were going to, you know, we were going to support. So right. I'm not worried. I mean, I think your readers are going to be sad because the Nantucket books are over, but you know what? They can go back and reread them. There'll be more, there'll be more TV and film because I think there's a gold mine, you know, now, you know, once the first series comes out, I have no doubt as someone who worked in the movie business for a long time, that that's just going to be the beginning. And then there is just a treasure trove. And I can't wait to see the kind of book you're going to write that is not going to be the Nantucket series. Yeah. Tim, if you would permit me, I have two nice notes that I found in the files. One of the things I do is I think it's important for Ellen to answer all the emails that come in, both good and bad, because I think it's important in the age of everything being so transparent and social media and everybody being able to track everything. uh, It's not just facial recognition, it's every kind of recognition. So I make a point of answering and I sign it as Ellen's agent. And I don't check these letters with Ellen. She knows I'm not going to say anything. But I have two that I found this that that I think are worth mentioning, if, if you'd permit me. One is, and it's always pass it along to Ellen, which we do. David For and I are meticulous about this. Please pass the following note to Ms. Hildebrand. I'm 84, a grandfather, and I've read all your published books. I'm not among your average readers. In the early 60s, I worked four summers on Nantucket. And to this day, I have great love for the island and have visited on many occasions. Fast forward to 10 years ago, I was in the library browsing through their offering and I cited a book written by a Nantucket author. After reading it, I was hooked. I find your works to be original from one to the next. All that hard work although most take take place on Nantucket. And of course, I'm a sucker for a happy ending. Keep them coming. So that's sweet. And here's something that reflects the times a little because Ellen has thrown a few moments of reality into her fiction. She has got opinions and some of them come across in the characters They may not be Ellen's opinions, but they come across in the characters who have their opinions. So this is a ruffled reader. I'm reading the Hotel Nantucket, and I'd like to say I'm really enjoying the story, but I can't. (laughs) I have read and have all of Ellen's books. 
And I'm extremely disappointed that she has to add the queer gay to her stories. It's definitely time for her to retire from writing. She's gone down the dark path, adding this garbage to her wonderful stories. Her books in the past didn't have this awful storyline in them, and they were great. I bought this book hoping this one would be good like her books in the past, but this put a negative light on this story. I won't recommend her books to anyone anymore. So we deal with all of this. I answer each one of these as diplomatically. I was going to be a diplomat if I hadn't become a literary agent. I was going to be in in the Foreign Service or in the UN. So I use my diplomatic uh, skills to try to keep Ellen's readers from getting their torches coming after us. Well, I'm so sorry, lady. I I guess I'll blame myself. (laughs) (laughs) What's funny is my husband and I are characters in the Five Star Weekend. So in chapter nine, you get to meet Tim and Santi and that's that's my husband and I. That's the best Um, part of the book. That's the best scene. It's the best scene in the whole book also. I did that. I put you in there because I just love that scene. (laughs) And now a short break to thank our sponsor, Triple Eight Distillery. The Beer and Spirits Garden of Cisco Brewers are a destination not only for my characters, but for my friends and fans as well. And not just on Nantucket, but in Boston's Seaport District, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, New Bedford, Massachusetts, and beyond. The beverages of choice for today's episode are their Nantucket Craft Cocktails, Canned spritzers, including the Nantucket Cran Cranberry, Nantucket Blue Blueberry, and their brand new delicious piña, a perfectly spicy pineapple jalapeno. Cheers from Nantucket's own Triple Eight Distillery. That Nantucket Blueberry is always in my beach cooler. I, is it I so delicious? It. I love it so much. I haven't tried the cranberry, but the blueberry is my one of my favorites. I am putting Triple Eight, I'm not going to say how or why, into my final novel. Oh, that's exciting. Has yeah. it not been in? I mean, triple eight, the triple eight is going to be very special in my last book. Okay. And there's going to be like a triple eight party. It's going to be so much fun. I am um, really excited. I love Cisco. It's the happiest place on earth. It is the best. What day do you usually go there? I like Actually, to go should on, we not say that? Well, I mean, maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> I like to go on Sunday. I like to go on Sunday, even though last calls is an hour earlier, but like I get there at 4.30 you know, limp out of there at 630. Yeah, it's the perfect, it's the perfect place. I, I always... love the food trucks. Love, love, love. It's just the greatest, it's the greatest afternoon. Well, okay, we are going to wrap up here quickly, but I want to end every episode with a little bit of a lightning round with our guests. And so we're going to go pretty quickly here, but I just want to get some answers from these things. So present company excluded, do you have a favorite book or writer's work that you are most proud of helping to bring into the world? We'll start with Judy. Definitely working on I Am Malala with Malala. She was 16 years old, and I ended up spending a lot of time with her family in Birmingham, England. And that book, I think, won, you know, she won the Nobel Prize. And yeah, she yeah. was extraordinary. So yes, that was my, that's mine. Wonderful. Michael? It's hard because I've been doing this longer than Judy, so it's hard to choose one. I'm going to say it's a little unusual. It's Open by Andre Agassi. And, and the reason I say that is that it was, not only is it a defining book in the field of tennis, but it was a book where he realized that if he didn't tell the entire truth of his life, including some difficult moments, it wouldn't work. And so I 
salute him for it. And it's obviously one of the major books that I helped bring along with my partner, Richard Pine. I love that. I have a question. What's the first book that led you to a career in literature? Or what is the book in when you were growing up that you thought, okay, I want to I wanna go into a literary career? Let's start okay. with Michael. So I took this incredible course in college, which was on the French novel in French. And there was a great professor who assigned a Balzac novel. And we read Pierre Goriot, which is about an ambitious young man who comes to Paris, lives in a boarding house. And when you wrote Hotel Nantucket, I knew that the notion of the boarding house was a great, or a hotel was a great vehicle for telling stories. And, And that's not the reason I got into publishing, but it's one of the books I think about the most. Judy? So for me, it wasn't a work experience. It was reading The Golden Notebook, Doris Lessing. And I think that's a book that I have gone and reread maybe five or six times. There's something so fresh about the structure. It's so political. Also, she grew up in what was Rhodesia and Zimbabwe, great feminist sort of text. So that was the book that got me really thinking, wow, someone was behind this book. What's that about? Yeah, That is excellent. Okay, if if we could invite friends on a five-star weekend, where would we all go? Judy? Rome. Michael? Venice. Oh, Ellen, yeah, where would you go? You can't pick Nantucket. If I can't pick Nantucket, I would go to Fremantle, Australia. Okay. And then, now this one I love. I want us all to name four writers, dead or alive, you would invite on your five-star weekend. I'm going to go first because I had a second to think about it. So my answers were Toni Morrison, Dorothea Benton Frank, my darling, beloved Dottie Frank, Danny Shapiro, and Meg Mitchell Moore. That'd be a fun weekend. Yeah. I wrote down, also, I'm sorry, I had Toni Morrison also, so she's coming. <laughs> All right, maybe she can go with you. All right, I give you, I'll give you Toni Morrison. <laughs> okay. I had Michael Cunningham, because I just think he's just so much fun. Edna O'Brien, ditto. I mean, just so entertaining. Nora Ephron, because she would keep oh us. Oh my God, so good. Um, oh, and so then good. I had James Joyce, because I just thought that it would be fun to have <laughs> someone, you know, from, from long ago. Nora Ephron's so, a good answer. That's a good answer. Marquez, because he would bring a certain amount of magical realism with him. Ralph Ellison, Joan Didion, she was an amazing writer. And she'd be very good about Hollywood, Ellen. She would help us Uh, with Hollywood. And the last is Tom Stoppard. Oh, excellent. I want to listen in on that dinner conversation. (laughs) What's everyone reading right now? I'm reading a book called In the Orchard by Eliza Minot. Aww, Susan, I love Eliza. I know. It's a really, it's a, it's a, it's an interior novel. And I don't always love those because nothing happens. So basically in the orchard, um, I mean, I'm about five, six the way through, nothing really happens, but it's an interior monologue about a mother of small children. And it's fantastic. It's amazing. I love it. Susan's a friend. I was supposed to go to that book party, but I didn't. But Eliza's just, they're all so talented, the minors. Yeah. I'm reading this fabulous memoir by Maggie Smith, a poet called You Could Make This Place Beautiful. Highly, highly, highly recommend it. She has a huge platform as a poet, but this is about her divorce and her marriage breaking up. And it's, I can't put it down. I'm going to have to go home tonight and finish it. Okay, that's good to know. Michael? And what I'm reading, no one else is going to read, which is the unsolicited submissions to Inkwell. No, um, <laughs> I'm always... I'm always the slash pile. Uh, 
slash bile. I still take unsolicited phone calls. I can't believe you do. I do all the time and it keeps keeps me going. The book I'm looking forward to reading and I haven't read was given to me to last week. It's The Covenant of Water by Abraham Verghese. And I'm one of the only people in the world who didn't read his first book. Uh So I am way behind, but this is my summer reading. Oh, brilliant. You can give me a test by the time I see you in August. I'm also reading that book. That was going to be my answer. I've just Ah. started it. It's really beautifully written. Really beautiful. Well, Michael and Judy, thank you so much for joining us today. Ellen and I are about to have the most bookish week of our lives. Her book came out yesterday and now she is gone on tour. Ellen, where are you? Where are you going this week? Yeah. So this week I'm in Newtown, Pennsylvania, Manasquan, New Jersey, Washington for the very first time on a book tour. Bethany, as usual, for I think the 12th or 13th year in a row, ditto Rehoboth, New Jersey. And for the tour events beyond that, you can check at ellenhildebrand.net. Perfect. And I am about to enter Nantucket Book Festival Week, where I get the honor to um, interview Emma Straub, the author of This Time Tomorrow, and also Jody Pico and Jennifer Finney Boylan, author of Mad Honey. So that is the Nantucket Book Festival this weekend, June 15th through the 18th. Michael and Judy, thank you. This thank was such you, like an insider scoop on, on writing and the process and the five-star weekend. And so I hope everyone enjoys it. Well, thank you so much. Fabulous. And I will be listening to every single podcast that you do. <laughs> thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Tune in next week. We are going to have best-selling phenomenon and author of Daisy Jones and the Six, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, and Carrie Soto is back. The phenomenon that is Taylor Jenkins Reid. I cannot wait. Thank you all. Bye, guys. Hi, book lovers. Ellen Hildebrand. And Tim Ehrenberg. Here again. Just a few closing notes before you leave. We want to thank our wonderful premier sponsors, Nantucket Book Partners, Marine Home Center, the Nantucket Hotel, Cartelina, and Nantucket Looms for their generous support in the making of this show. And we also want to thank our team behind the scenes, beginning with N Magazine. We want to thank our producer, Emmy Duncan, our technical director, Kit Noble, and our editor, Brian Murphy. We hope you'll keep tuning in for more book talks featuring a stellar lineup of special guests all season long. So please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time and happy Happy reading. reading!